so what we've seen so far, and specifically uh, in kind of lesson form, uh, is we've seen these apostles that the Lord has chosen and ordained for, to lead His church. Uh, they were imprisoned, then they were freed, and they were praying, and they were teaching, and they were preaching. We also saw when they were doing that, and when these first deacons we saw last week were serving the people, and when the people were submitted to and following the leadership of the church, the Bible said, we saw in chapter 6, verse 7, the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Multiplied greatly. And again, it was something that we've been talking about, something we've been praying about. I, I believe that if we have a united church, if we follow the same prescription that we see in this first church, I believe 100% that the Lord would add and multiply greatly to this church in, in, again, in, in, a, in amazing ways. And I, I hope, again, as I said earlier, that you believe that too. I hope that you just don't sit by, that you just don't sit idly by, that you don't just come to church services and, and sit there, but that you are actually a part of it. Again, there's some key factors in what we saw the Lord do last week. There was no murmuring when they decided to do what they were going to do to solve the problem in the church. There was no murmuring. They were in complete unity. And every hand was ready to help accomplish the work. And that's how God moved. And again, I believe he'll do it in this church. I believe he'll do it in Saginaw. I believe he'll do it in Fort Worth. I believe he'll do it in this community. But it, it does take us following this same prescription, I believe. It's also important to note that in the second part of verse 7 that we saw last week, it said that a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And I also believe that that's kind of a crown for the gospel at this point in time. Because Jesus was, was imprisoned and, and, and persecuted and, and uh, he was crucified by the Romans, but it was the religious crowd that had him crucified. It was the people that were, that were playing religion. They, they thought they had it, and, and they didn't have a relationship with God. And Jesus tried to expose that, and because of the hardness of their hearts, they had him crucified. But here, because the church was obedient, because the church was submitted, because the church was faithful and, and, and doing what God had called them to do, again, a, a great move of God happened even in that religious crowd, which is hard. Because one of the things that, that I've known for... 20-something years in ministry, is it's hard to see someone come to true faith who isn't truly saved but believes they are. I want to say that again. It's hard for someone to come to true faith, true salvation in Jesus Christ alone when they believe that they already are saved but they are not truly saved. They say, well, how do they know that? I, I believe that sometimes um, there's, there's a deception there and they don't think, uh, they don't know that. I believe they, they think because they pray to prayer and because they go to church that they're going to go to heaven. And that's nowhere in Scripture. Jesus came and taught the gospel of the kingdom, the good news. He, 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 he explained very clearly in all of his teachings that it was a forsaking of all of yourself your whole world, even, even your, your intimate family relationships. And he said, even your own life. You've got you've to leave it behind. You've got to be willing to leave it all behind and follow him. It says nothing about praying a prayer and asking Jesus into your heart. It talks about a faith, a trust, 
an absolute life-changing, resolute reliance on Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sins and the consequences of sin. Believing without any shred, uh, any fiber, any, any inkling of a doubt, believing 100% that Jesus died on the cross as the atonement, the payment, the satisfaction of all sin, including yours, on the cross. And believing without any doubt, without any fiber of a, of, of a question, that not only did he die and pay whole, holy for your sins and the sins of the whole world, but he rose again three days later. Showing that he wasn't just some other Johnny-come-lately or some other person claiming to be the Messiah, but proving 100% that he was the Messiah, the Savior, the only one by whom salvation can be received. And so this religious crowd was moved. And that's, again, what I pray for. I pray there's no one in this church, no one who stood or no one who sat, no one, no one in this church that ever comes here that is in that religious crowd, that you, you think that you are going to heaven or you believe because you, you did this or you did that. Or, but I, I, I pray that every single person in this church would know confidently that you're going to heaven because of the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And because you have surrendered everything to him. Again, this was something of a crown for the gospel at this point in time. Lost sinners, people who are far from God, people who are vile in their lifestyle, getting saved and being clean, people full of demons and being cast out and saved and lives being transformed is amazing. Jesus did that work while he's here. The church continued to do that work after he had ascended to the throne. But now to see a religious crowd move into true faith was a crown for the gospel. And so this morning I want to move forward and, and see what happens after this, this movement even of the religious crowd, this, this, this new revival even uh, of this first church. And I'm excited to see what God has for us. So let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for all that you do, all that you've done in this church for the last 36 years. Lord, we know that this is your church, God. This is um, the, 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 the group of people uh, that have assembled in this, this church, this local assembly uh, that you've put together. Lord, you, you have bought us with your blood. Uh, you have given us eternal life. Again, it, this is yours. And I just pray that we would be the church that you want us to be. God, you would, you would move in each of our hearts, and we would, we would move according to that moving. God, we would be obedient. We would be submitted. God, we would see a work that is mighty and unquestionably your work alone. Lord, I ask that you would move in our hearts this morning, stir us and, and have your way. And I do pray, God, if there's somebody watching or somebody present here, whether they're on the church roll or not, if there's somebody here that isn't 100%, 100% convinced, 100% positive that they're going to heaven when they die, that they would make sure that that was the case before they leave, that they wouldn't walk out of here with any doubts, Every person leaving this place, every person that turns their computer off would know 100% that they're going to heaven when they die. Lord, just move in our hearts, move in this place in Jesus' name. Amen.
Acts chapter 6, we pick up in verse 8. You can follow along on the screen. It says, And Stephen, if you remember, he was one of the seven that was chosen uh, by the church to serve in this capacity that we believe is the first group of deacons, appointed by the apostles. And so uh, we, we learn a little bit more about him. He kind of rises to the surface as this leader because of his example. And something I've told our leadership uh, for as long as I've been pastor is leadership is example. That's it. You can't say, go do something and not, not be willing to do it yourself. You can't say, hey, you should do this if you don't, aren't, aren't modeling it yourself. Again, that doesn't work in the home. It doesn't work in the church. Uh, pe- parents sometimes uh, say, well, you just do what I say. I'm the parent. You, you do what I say. Don't do what I do. That's poor leadership. It's just poor leadership. Leadership is example. And so Stephen by his example, rises to the surface as kind of the leader of this first group of deacons, and even as a leader in the church. And so it says he's full of grace and power. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. But then there were some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Again, this was believed to be a synagogue there in Jerusalem that was a group of Jews that had been freed from slavery. And so that's why it had got that name um, or, or from, you know, being, being slaves as, as their jobs. Um, but it says this, there were also people that were there that were of the Cyrenians, of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia. They rose up and they disputed with Stephen. So he was full of grace and power, and he was speaking, he was doing all these things. God was using him in amazing ways because he was full of faith. He was full of the Spirit. He was full of wisdom. He was full of power. He was full of grace. But this group rose up, and they argued with him. They disputed. They came against him. But look at verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, the question that comes to my mind right away, I think it's important for us to, to try to answer or to at least uh, examine, is why would those who, who were against the work of God not be able to resist him? Right? Why, why would they not be able to refute or why would they not be able to have an argument that held weight? It says that he had the, the wisdom and the spirit. He had, he had, that they couldn't argue, they couldn't withstand that, that, that wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Why, was it, why is that key? Why, was, why is it key that he had this wisdom and this spirit that they couldn't argue? What kind of wisdom and spirit? Of course, many of us already know where that goes. And I believe it's because he was speaking in God's wisdom. This also reminds me of Paul's description of the wisdom versus man, uh, man's wisdom versus God's wisdom that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read that. It says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those people who are lost and on their way to eternal destruction and hell, when they hear the cross, they hear that Jesus died, God in the flesh, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for the sins of the world so that the world would be free from sin and the penalty of sin. When, when, when most of those who are on their way to hell hear that the first time, they ha- they, most people say, there's no way it's that easy. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. That just because one man, Jesus, died on the cross, we can go to heaven for eternity. Yeah, because man typically is the center of man's own universe. That's why humanism is, has always been something so prevalent throughout history. And I will say this today. If you want to know what's going on in large part in America, a major rise in humanism. 
man being the center of his own world, the authority in his own life. Throw God and his laws out and believing that he can make his own laws. Again, it says this, it's foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. The cross is what gives us power. The cross, the cross has, has saved us. Because Jesus died, again, we can have salvation. It's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent in, in man's eyes, wise in man's eyes. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased him. Through the foolishness of the message, preach to save those who believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And that message to the Jews is a stumbling block, and to the Greeks is foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So what was, G what was Stephen preaching? We'll, we'll see in a second what, what he goes on about, but I believe he was preaching Christ and him crucified. It says, because the power of God and the wisdom of God, Christ. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Even if God could be foolish, his foolishness would be wiser than all of man's wisdom combined. That's what it's saying. And the weakness of God. If God could be weak, is stronger than all of man's strength combined. You know, you know what's amazing? Just to kind of give us a good example of that, right? We have built amazing things by the grace of God. America specifically. And we, we, we cart around town. We, we, we have stuff that runs in our house. I mean, even now we're using different types of technology. And look in just a fraction of time what can happen. All that stops. Right? That's amazing. You say, man, man has, has built up all these defense, built, built up all these mechanisms. Man has, has done all this and we can survive and we can do these things. I mean... All it has to take is just a turn of a switch and just to kind of reveal the power of God's creation, the power that God has. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh. There's not many mighty. There's not many that are noble who are called because they're full of themselves. But God's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, that don't exist. To bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification, and redemption. That as, is that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So when we look at our lives and we say, what, what, is, what, is, what we have, everything valuable comes from God. Wisdom, righteousness, which we have to be righteous in order to be able to stand in his presence. And the only reason we can be righteous is because of the righteousness of Christ. Sanctification. It's being set apart, clean, holy, and redemption all comes from Christ. That means 
that, that the only thing that really matters in this life comes from him. So that's why when we glory, the only one we should glory in is the Lord. But what we see in Stephen here is something so vital, a point that we should apply in our lives now. Because here he is, he's, he's, he's kind of set up, he's an example, he's being obedient, he's being used by God, and he's speaking with wisdom and power and grace and faith. He's doing all these things and God is using him. And in, in the midst of God using him, this attack comes against him. People are arguing and disputing against the gospel message that he's preaching. But it gives to us a great example to follow in our lives today. Because we know, you know, if you speak the gospel, if you speak Jesus to people, you're going to get disputed. You're going to get argument. You're going to get rejection. You're going to get all these things come against you if you do it. And so I don't experience that. You've got to ask yourself the question, am I sharing Jesus with people? Am I sharing the wisdom of God, Jesus? Am I sharing the good news, the gospel with people? When you start doing that, it starts coming against you. But that's what we're supposed to be about. That's what our lives on this earth are about, is to have a relationship with the Lord. And once we enter into that relationship with the Lord, because of his grace, because of our faith in Jesus Christ alone, as I said a while ago, when we enter into a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with God himself because of what Jesus did, our responsibility now as the children of God, as the laborers for God, is to be on the mission of God, which is the mission of the kingdom. We gather as a people, we are here as a church to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to lift one another up, to hold one another accountable, to, to, to teach and admonish and, and to worship God together. We do all those things as a body because that's what God has designed and that's what he has prescribed. But it's so that we are a body, a church, a vessel that carries his mission out individually and collectively. And so number one is this this morning. We should speak truth and love godly wisdom, and spirit-filled power. And so I wish I, I wish I could. I wish I, I wish I did that. But when I speak, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in weakness and from ignorance, and I don't really know what to say, and I don't even know how to approach conversations. Listen, we are not told that Stephen was some theologian. We're not told that Stephen had been uh, skillfully and meticulously educated in a Bible institute or a Bible seminary. What we know about Stephen is he had faith in God. He was full of faith. Then we see his faith full. He was faithful to the Lord. He was a child of God. He was submitted to God and obedient to the Lord because it said that he was full of the Spirit. And so that means that the evidence of the Spirit was in his life. People would see the love and the peace and the grace and, and the forbearance and the self-control and all the things that the Spirit displays could be seen in Stephen's life. But we're not told that he's just some great, educated saint. He was a vessel. He was being obedient. And God used him. I believe the, the, the motive in Stephen's heart was based off of what Stephen experienced. And that was the love of God. 
Again, I believe the motive in his heart was love for God and love for people. And that, that's an example for us. I put in your notes, every motive and move of the Christian should be driven by love. So when you, you, you love something or someone, it moves you. It's a motivation, right? That's what happens when, in, in our marriage relationships. That's what happens with our, our kids and our grandkids. When, when, when whatever we're doing, whether we're, we're setting up boundaries, why? Because I love you. We're, we're re- rewarding for, for, for right things or whatever because I love you. Love motivates and moves us. And so what does it say if we aren't sharing the gospel with other people, the gospel that changed our life, the gospel that invaded our life, that changed us? With a love of God that we, we didn't maybe know before, that we experienced, a new for the, uh, experienced new. If we have the love of God in us, how could we not share the love of God with others? And if it's the love of God that is inside of us, how could we not love others? For God so loved the world, he gave. It's what drove God. It's, it's what motivated God. It's what moved God to send his only son so that no one would perish. And if that love is inside of us, it should be the motivating factor in our life. As uncomfortable as it is, as out of my comfort zone as it is, as weird as I may feel, I still love people. I don't want them to go to hell. I want them to know the same things that I know about heaven and how to get there. And and, and if I don't share that with them, then they may possibly die and go to hell forever. I can't save them. I, I can't change their life. But I can at least give them the information about the one who can. There's a lot about free speech today, you know. Cancel culture, battle for free speech. I mean, even with, with masks, right? People are making statements on their mask. Free speech, like, like there, there's a lot about in our, in our nation about free speech. And, and with that comes a lot of opinions. In this age of social media, a lot of posts. I want to say as, as believers, we should be discreet in what we say and how we say it. Remember what Paul said, don't use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. It may feel good to put someone on blast. It, it, may, it may feel good to tear someone down or to rip them a new one. It may, it may feel good to the flesh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's pleasing to God and ultimately what's best. The Bible says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And that's hard. And none of us are perfect. But we know, according to Scripture, the reason that they couldn't resist what Stephen was saying and the works that were being accomplished is because of the wisdom and the spirit by which he was operating. Again, railing on someone in person, going, you know, tearing them on a new one, lashing out at them in person or online, that's not spirit-filled. We know this isn't how Stephen was defending the faith or sharing the truth because we see in the verses next, what happens? Then they secretly instigated men, verse 11. Isn't that interesting? I, I hate those stinking secret stuff, those secret meetings. Have you hear about it in, in, in Washington and stuff? will be the secret meeting. That's a bunch of junk right there. 
Even in, like, nothing good happens in the dark like that. They secretly instigated men. That's what they did against Jesus. Who said, uh, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. That's what they got people to say. Hey, you need to go and, and tell these people that they, they're speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. They, they gathered, gathered them all together and they came upon and seized him. And they brought him before the council. They had this big old crowd come against Stephen. And, and they were going to bring him before the religious people. And they set up the false witnesses. All right, you guys tell them what, what we told you to say. So here's what they said. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him. And you see their faces? They're just looking at Stephen, staring him down. All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I don't look like somebody who'd been railing on people. I don't look like somebody who's been ripping people new ones, the face of an angel. You know, some of you can put on the face of an angel, right? We all can. But Stephen was in the midst of being falsely accused. He was, he was being persecuted for his faith and his obedience. He, he was in the midst of a great trial, life or death, and we'll see later at, at another sermon. But here he is in the middle of this false accusations, lies coming against him. And Stephen, we saw already, was full of grace and power. And I believe it's that grace of God that was resting on him and that's why when that, that religious council looked at him, they saw a peace and a grace and a presence that only can come from God. Not an angry maniac, not a selfish, self-centered defender of himself, but a servant of God. Now, this is exactly what the enemy's out to do. He will try every trick, dirty, crafty, to distract and discourage and defeat the work of God the workers of God. The enemy will do anything to get us out of who we are to be and what mission we are supposed to accomplish. That's what the enemy will do. This is something that we have to be so in, so in tune to, and I'm about to be done. Point number two is we should be ready for every scheme the enemy tries to hurl at us. Guys, if, if you don't think what's going on in our nation is, an is, is a spiritual warfare, you're blinded. It's a spiritual warfare going on. He can use politics, politicians. He can use governments and na natural, you know, phenomena. He, the enemy is not above anything. He will use anything and everything to come against the plan and the people of God. So that's why First Peter tells us to be sober and vigilant. Because we have an adversary. There's one adversary. And that's Satan. And he's like a roaring lion. He's looking who he can devour. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But there's a spiritual battle that's going on against light and darkness. We have to remember that. I'm going to ask you the question this morning. What is Satan throwing at you 
in your Christian life to distract you? What is he throwing at you and your family to discourage you from living and serving the way that God desires every one of his children to do? Is it, I mean, is it something at work? Is it something personal? Is, is, is it something emotional or mental or, or, or relational? What, what is Satan trying to throw at you? Now, I want to say this, the qualifier that's very important. It's not to be confused with the consequences of sin. Don't confuse the schemes of Satan, attacks that he wages against the people of God, with the consequences of our own sin. It's not also to be confused with the discipline that God exercises on his children because of his love. But as you sincerely are pursuing the heart of God, and as you are faithfully obeying and carrying out the gospel mission that we're all a part of, what is the enemy doing to try to distract you and discourage you from doing that? He, does, he throws a lot of things. I want to say, first of all, importantly, in your notes, our only hope in this battle is the power of Christ. Even the, Paul the Apostle said, look, yeah, I asked God to remove this thorn in the flesh three times, and this is what his answer was to me. My grace is sufficient for you. I'll carry you through. And so Paul says, you know what? Because that was what God told me, I will, I will rejoice in my weaknesses so that the power of God, the power of Christ may rest upon me. So sometimes we need to stop, and I'm not saying, look, there's some real battles going on in our church, I get it. But sometimes we can make ourselves the center of it all when Christ is supposed to be the center of it all. He's given us the availability to have his grace and his power and his help through it all. Stephen was facing this counsel and this, these lies that were about to cost his life. And, and here he was resting and relying on the power of God, not his own wisdom and might. That's the example that we see. But the second thing in your notes is this. This is not new for man. And as, and as much as it feels like this, you are not the only one. So I don't know anybody else who's had to deal with this in their family. I don't know anybody else who's had to deal with this or has to go through this. There is no temptation that is overtaking you that's not common to man. Is what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says. There, there, there's nothing new under the sun, Scripture says. But it says that God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to, to endure it. He says, well, God's not going to put more on you than you're, than, than you're able to. No, 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 no. He says he's not going to put more on you that you can't make it through with his help. That's what it says in the context. That's, that's the reality. You, you and I can't face the battle of the enemy alone. We can't face the attacks that are waged against us. We can't even make it through the trials that the Lord allows us to go through without the strength of Almighty God. Satan wants to make you feel isolated and alone. He wants to make you feel so crippled in your fear. He wants to make you feel so crippled in your worry, in your doubt, your anxiety, your, 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 your selfishness, your discouragement, your depression. He wants to make you feel so, so isolated and alone like that. And his plan is very clear. Scripture says that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. So he'll use lies like he did with Stephen. He'll use things and people and circumstances. He'll use governments and politics and media and social media. He'll use everything in the world 
most of the time as deterrence in our life, as distractions in our life, stuff that can get our focus concentrated on something, a problem, an issue, a trial, a person, a people group, whatever the case may be, rather than on Christ. This isn't to say that we don't face real life stuff. And, and, and what I'm saying is, well, just in order to make it through the real life stuff, you just pretend it's not there. You just ignore it because we're just focusing on Christ. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't say that at all. But it is to say this. Focusing on Christ becomes monumental. It comes from a foundation of faith, a foundation of confidence, trust, and hope, and love in Christ, even in the attack, even in the scheme, even in the trial. How can Stephen have the face of an angel when this is coming upon him? Because he was focused on Christ. It wasn't to say that what he was going through, he didn't feel real things. The song, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Why? Because there's a tree planted by the rivers of water. So I won't be moved by emotion or fatigue. I won't be moved by the thoughts of why me, like the song was just sung. I won't be moved by anything else because all my hope is in Jesus. So if this bad doesn't go away, I will trust you, Lord. If I have to deal with this from now on, you are still good. See, God's plan is to use you and I. It's not just to use us on the mountaintops. When everything's hunky-dory in our relationships and our, our lives and our finances and in our world and our country, it's not just God wants to use me there because there I, I, I'm energized and I'm encouraged. No, 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 no. He wants to use us even in the valleys. See, it's even in the valleys that we run into people and circumstances where the love of God can be shared in ways that otherwise it couldn't be through our life. This morning, maybe you're asking, why me? Why this? Why do we have to go through this? Why are we dealing with this? Again, I, I want to encourage you. You have to hold to the truth. Be ready for every scheme. Make your focus Jesus Christ. He uses the tactics that he used in the beginning on us today. And he'll keep doing them as long as they work. Let's not be distracted or preoccupied. God's got to work for you because you're still here. God has to work through you because you're still here. And you're part of this fellowship. Be 100% involved, engaged, serving, helping, inviting, sharing. Be a part. Don't just be here. How are you responding? Don't give up. Let's keep being faithful. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for the opportunity we have to serve you. Thank you for blessing uh, us being a part of this church, again, a church that you have had established for 36 years, Lord. And we, we know, again, this is your church, and we pray that uh, we as your people would just be obedient and submitted, that we won't be distracted, that we won't fall for the schemes of the enemy.
but that will rest in your power. God, that we too, like Stephen, would be full of faith and power, that we would speak the truth and love, and, and God, we would actually have your purpose fulfilled in our lives. Because if any other purpose is accomplished in our life, it's, it's, it's in vain. If we see our own purposes or the world's purposes accomplished in our life, then our life is in vain. Lord, help us to be vessels that your purpose is accomplished through. We ask you to bless now as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll just stand for a couple minutes. As he plays.